Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Motherkind podcast. This week I've got an amazing guest for you. She kind of needs no introduction really. Ella Mills is the founder of Deliciously Ella she is a mum to Sky, who is just turned one when we recorded. And when we recorded, she was also 33 weeks pregnant. We had a brilliant conversation. Ella was really honest and open, talking about what the first few months of life was like for her as a mother and what she might do differently this time. We talked about guilt and balance. You know, she runs her own very successful company as She talked about feeling always on. So we talked about that around expectations and pressure and where this drive comes from. We talked about her own childhood and how that might impact or be at play with how she is raising her daughters. We also talked about what Skye, her one-year-old, is here to teach her, which I found absolutely fascinating conversation. And we end the conversation talking about a kind of new emerging version of success that is coming up for Ella as she grows into motherhood. So I loved the conversation. I followed Ella for a long, long, long time. And she was every bit as honest and gracious and wise as I hoped she would be. So here is the episode. As ever, if you feel moved to please do share it and subscribe here it is welcome Ella to the podcast I'm so excited to be chatting this morning oh me too thank you so much for having me no I've wanted to chat to you for ages I followed you a long 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 time so normally I have to do loads of prep but for you I kind of didn't really have to which is a bit weird because I feel like I you know I don't know you but I feel like I do know you because you're so honest and you shared all of your journey and you really helped me actually with your first book get into thinking about how my food was making me feel so thank you for that oh it's such a pleasure it's so nice to hear that so how are you feeling how many weeks pregnant are you now do you know what this is such an embarrassing answer but with Sky, my first one, I knew I could tell you like to the hour. And this time around, I keep forgetting exactly where we are. But we're kind of about 33 weeks now. So fast approaching the end. Sky was born at 38 weeks. So in my head, I'm kind of prepping myself that that might happen again, in which case, yeah, five weeks to go. How are you feeling? Well, I have to say, and I appreciate that not everyone would find this, but I have found being pregnant this year infinitely easier than last year. And again, as I said, like it's not for everyone and I so appreciate that, but I found being pregnant during lockdown actually a massive blessing because you know, I'm sitting recording this now on a bed and I'm so comfy and I'm leaning back and I just don't have to sit in an office chair all day, which gave me such bad cankles and swollen legs. And I mean, Sky was born at the end of July last year and it was super hot again last summer. And our office is in Soho. And I just remember at this kind of point, like 33, 34, five weeks, being so pregnant and just waddling down Oxford Street at like 34 degree heat at rush hour. I'd come home and I'd sit in the bath, even on a boiling hot day for like an hour or two hours, because it was the only way that I didn't hurt. You know, and you're just so achy. And I have just found being able to work at home and be able to move around a lot and just go on like 10 minute walks and get up. And as I said, sit in bed if I'm uncomfy or on the sofa and have my legs up. And as a result, touch wood, I haven't really had those aches and pains. What do you kind of take from that? I was talking to my sister-in-law about it last weekend because we were pregnant at the exact same time last year. Her daughter's literally four weeks and a day older than Sky, And so we had obviously a very parallel experience and It's so difficult because, I mean, I certainly found, and I think most women probably find, 
there is a challenge with pregnancy and early motherhood and career and ambitions at work and taking a step back. And I think that can be quite a mental kind of juggle and a challenge and a puzzle for people. And I certainly found that. And I think I wanted to do everything as I've done before. And for us at Delicious Yellow, that does mean doing everything at like a hundred miles an hour and working really long hours six, seven days a week. And that's because we love it and we're excited about it and the opportunity is amazing. But I think realistically, when you're pregnant, you know, this might really offend some people, but I don't know if you're really capable of doing that without it having repercussions. You know, the body is just doing so much and I think it probably needs more space and flexibility and calm than we necessarily give it, especially in the very early part of pregnancy and the end part. Body's always talking. I know you're really interested in mind body connection, like I am. I kind of see those twinges and the sensations in my body that are like messengers. Exactly. Um, and it's so fascinating to me that you had lots of those messages when you were kind of running around pregnant with Sky. And yet this time, as you've been kind of forced to slow in many ways, you haven't had those messengers from your body telling you perhaps to slow. And after Sky, I can't wait to ask you about this because I know how I felt in those early weeks after Jesse and Rose, who's now eight months. I could barely leave the house and yet you managed to shoot a cookbook. Tell me about that. I was literally reflecting on it the other day because I was thinking about our next daughter and how I kind of won the first few months of her life to shape out and what I would do differently. And it's so interesting because I feel so torn about it. On one hand, I literally could not be more proud of myself. For me, like it was such an emotional and physical challenge. It was after she was just four weeks old that I needed to start getting my head back into work. And, you know, you're still all over the shop at that point. Well, at least I was, you know, that kind of really digging deep to find the ability to do that was hard and trying to juggle it all was hard and trying to feel like you were giving enough to everything was hard. And I definitely pushed myself probably harder than I ever have in those kind of three months or so after she was born, three or four months. But then on the other hand, sometimes I look back at it, it just ended up being that way because I didn't think we'd get pregnant as quickly as we did. And I never expected to have such bad morning sickness for the first kind of four months of Sky. And so it just moved the timelines. And then obviously also meant I couldn't really do my job for four months. And it just put me very, very behind with the project. And as a result, I had to get it done because everything was booked in and ready to go and the dates were set. And so there wasn't much flexibility with that. But part of me thinks I was mad Like, what was I trying to prove? And ultimately, I don't think I really was trying to prove anything on the fact that I'd committed to something and I had a lot of people riding on that and I felt that I couldn't let them down and I didn't have flexibility on that because, you know, obviously it's not about you. It's a team of people and it's the publishers and, and they've given us such support. But I think this time around, you know, I'm really adamant that I really am going to take three or four months off. And obviously, you know, as you know, and so many people I'm sure will listening will know, you know, if you're part of a very small company or you run your own business, off is not actually off, but off-ish. Yeah, I relate. Well, when I had Jesse, I didn't have my own business like I do now. And when I had Rose, so she's eight months now, I kind of pre-recorded enough podcast episodes. I paused on all the coaching, but still, like you say, it wasn't really off, off. So during that time when you said those three, four months that you're pushing yourself harder than you ever have in your life, what were the kind of emotional health, mental health repercussions? Were there any? And what tools were you using to keep yourself, I guess, sane? Because I'm not sure that I would have had the resilience to do that, to be frank with you. I think I probably would have broken. So I'm wondering what was in you, do you think? What tools were you using? I don't think I was, which I think was probably part of the problem is I was so exhausted and didn't really have kind of mental time-wise capacity really for anything. Like I don't feel like my care of myself was that high, like hand on heart. And this is no exaggeration. I didn't nap once. Oh my gosh, Ella. I just look back on and I just think, what was wrong with you? (laughs) 
like genuinely insane. I just thought I didn't have time. Like they say now when the baby naps and I was like, no, that's when I've got to work. Otherwise I won't see her. And so the first four months of her life, I literally didn't take one nap, which I think is like probably motherhood 101 (laughs) error. You know, I just started getting like chronic headaches. I felt so rubbish. And one of the things that I really found really difficult was breastfeeding. And I'm sure a big part of that was trying to juggle so many different things. And so I was always kind of rushing back for a feed and I'd be like trying to wrap up a meeting and jump on the tube. And oh my goodness, the tube was two minutes late. And I'm going to be five minutes late for a feed. And then she's hungry. And then, you know, you're in a flap and you haven't eaten properly. And yeah, you know, yeah, it doesn't help. But then I beat myself up so badly for struggling to breastfeed. And so Sky was born on the 27th of July. And on the, I think it was like the 15th of December, roughly, Matt and I, my husband, who's also my business partner and CEO of Delicious Yellow, he'd had to go back to work after a day. So it was all kind of completely insane. Anyway, they say there's never a right time to have a baby. And I think that is true. And so we said, okay, we're taking three weeks completely off just as a family. And we went away and I felt like I came back to life. I really completely switched off. I didn't work at all in those three weeks. And I started doing yoga properly again and had a massage at the hotel and I napped and I slept and I ate properly. And I just really felt that I kind of came back into myself at that point. And I say the kind of four months before that were just a kind of complete blur, really. What I was going to ask you was about birth because I actually, and you say that you really beat yourself up about breastfeeding, but I had quite a different postpartum experience with my first. I did two weeks in bed and I didn't make anything. I had people kind of waiting on me hand and foot. And yet I still really, really struggled with breastfeeding with both girls. So I think there's a lot of pressure. I put so much pressure on myself, the same, to make it work, particularly as I'd had this kind of really natural home birth. And I know you had the same. I kind of felt like the breastfeeding would come and it and it just didn't. So that kind of hard on yourself. Have you always been quite hard on yourself in that way? Or was that something new that entered your life through becoming a mother? I think I probably am harder on myself than I need to be. And I felt like that had changed a lot. What I realized it was when I started looking back on it, as I kind of came out of the haze of being hard on myself of it, was I think I had this expectation of who I'd be as a mother. And I felt that the breastfeeding side of it kind of encapsulated not meeting my expectation of who I would be. And it wasn't even necessarily that it was like a high expectation. It was just an expectation of the type of mother I thought I'd be. And I was actually a very different mother. You know, I kind of obviously, yeah, same as you, had a very natural home birth and I'm very interested in health and in wellness and in well-being. And that's kind of my big passion in life. And so I always thought I'd breastfeed forever. And, you know, I'd be that person that people are like, whoa, your child's quite old, you know, and I thought I'd be carrying her around the whole time. And I guess I'd have this kind of newer, like hippier kind of mother, because that's what I wanted. And and what felt like it resonated with me and from stories I've read of other mothers and, you know, seen online and things, I felt, yeah, that's going to be me actually the reality was so different and she never enjoyed breastfeeding, which is something I kind of, I think found really hard to admit as well. Like she never once fell asleep on the boob, literally never once, not even nodded off. That was never where she seemed to find her comfort. She loved sleeping on us and she loved like being on us, but she just never connected with the boob. She just couldn't be less bothered by it if she tried. And it's funny, the more I've gotten to know her and understand her personality, the more I've realized that beating myself up about it was so mad because she's the most amazingly strong-willed little girl and she's so independent that it really fits with her that she wouldn't mind how she was fed and that she didn't look for that. You know, So you know when you get your buggy, you put the baby in the like bassinet bit to start with She refused. When she was 10 days old, she (laughs) refused. She screamed like your neighbor should call like the NSPCC. Like she screamed that much when you put her in it. 
And I tried other people's ones. I was like, maybe I'm making it uncomfy for her. I tried to put everything in there. No, she just hated it because she couldn't see what was going on. And again, I thought she'd obviously, I love food and I was so excited to start feeding her. And she literally again, categorically refused. And I wasn't really necessarily aiming to do baby led weaning, but we did baby led weaning because she's just so independent and she just literally would not take a single thing off a spoon from you. She wanted to do it herself. So the more I've kind of got to know her, the more it makes sense to me that she didn't kind of massively connect with it because she is, as I said, really independent. And she's also like not a huge kind of foodie and and was never kind of massively fussed by a bottle either. Like she'd have what she needed and then she'd be much more interested in like looking around and she loves people and she just wants to stare at everyone and take it all in. And she's a real extrovert. So I feel like I've kind of come to understand that you can't put expectations on your baby. They're going to be who they are and they're born with their own little personality and their own little independent spirits. And you've kind of got to respect that and not try and put the box that you see yourself as a family and as a mother and as, as a child fitting into onto them. And what do you think she's here to help you learn or maybe unlearn? Oh my God, so much. It's unbelievable. We talk about it a lot, my husband and I. She has just given us so much. We both just absolutely adore being parents and she's just complete bliss and heaven on earth. But there's so many things she's taught us. I think more than anything, I think there is, and and I've heard this a lot from other people, but I think it's so true, like a sense of presence and a sense of being in the moment and of just taking each day as it comes, which actually one of my best friends whose little girl's exactly nine months older, that was her like number one piece of new mothering advice was just like, even at the beginning, don't even see each day as a zone, see each like minute, each hour, each section of the day as its own time and just let it be what it is. And, you know, it's going to change so much. Like it's such a roller coaster. But the ability just to kind of be in the day and what's going on, as I said, she's a real little extrovert and she loves being out in the world and she loves people and she loves looking at everything and just being able to kind of see that and see how much she takes in. And it just gives me such an appreciation, you know, she'll pick up a spoon and just look at it like it's just wonderful. And it's just this thing of wonder and it's incredible no, I don't give a spoon you know, that much, that much time normally. And so I think she's just helped us kind of appreciate each and every little thing and little moment. And she's a really happy baby and she's just got such joy in her and she shrieks with excitement. And like, I think there's just so much for us as adults to take from that joy and that sense of wonder and appreciation that babies seem to kind of innately have that we seem to have quite often forgotten. I really relate to that word presence because something that I notice is having, you know, mother kind is nowhere close to the scale of deliciously Ella. But something that I notice is I'll be with the girls, but I'm not really with them. My head might be in, you know, the podcast I've got tomorrow and have I prepped enough or that email that's kind of hanging over me. It's such a practice for me. I just keep having to pull myself back. And I've been using this phrase, which is I'm not working now. I'm not working now. I'm with the girls. I'm with the girls. How do you find that? Because, you know, as you say, you are your brand. You know, I know how hard you have worked to grow it. How are you able to get that delineation when you are with Sky and, you know, when you'll be with your new one? It's a work in progress for sure. When Matt and I started working together in 2015, that's when he kind of joined and we became a real team. In the first 18 months that we were working together, we tried to take time off and go away five times and we had to cancel five times. And it was such a good lesson in the fact that creating kind of really strict on and off work and home boundaries was just not plausible right now and trying to set them really rigidly actually made the problem much much worse yes then there was almost like a frustration there instead of just kind of being a bit more fluid about it and then saying okay we can take today off because it's just happened that today's ended up being quiet whereas you never know how the next month's going to look because things pop up all the time 
I said earlier, there's probably never a right time to have a baby. And I do think that's completely right, 100%, because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, who saw a global pandemic happening this year? Like, you never do. And, you know, we had a real lesson with that with my sister-in-law, her eldest daughter, who's now three and a half, when she was 10 weeks old, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was her experience of early motherhood. And it just gave us, I think, an appreciation of the fact, as I said, that that there is no perfect time. There never will be. But at the same time, we did want to wait until Delicious Yellow felt a little bit more stable because to start with, it was just like a scramble of all hands on deck, which a startup is. And I think as we've grown and we've scaled up and we've got a much bigger team now, there is a much bigger sense of calm and teamwork and stability in that, which does make the world of difference and allow you to feel like, okay, if I didn't answer this call, there would be someone else that could deal with the problem if there was a problem, which is incredibly reassuring. But I think I check myself all the time, just as you said, which is that even when you are there, sometimes it's inevitable that you're thinking about something else because how can you not? And We've talked about this a lot at home, but there's there's no right way of doing it. And I think what we've realized is like, yes, it means that I didn't take a full year of maternity with her or anything like that. But then at the same time, I've got much more flexible hours. And so I can work in the evening. I got up two hours before her this morning. I couldn't sleep and I worked for two hours. And then I had two and a half hours with her when she got up before we started recording this. And so For me, it's about really appreciating like, yes, it's imperfect. But at the same time, there's always advantages and disadvantages. I don't think there's ever going to be a perfect way to do anything in life. But I think there's certainly never going to be a perfect way to parent or to be a parent. Nothing else is a complete 24-7 job. And so you can't get it right 24-7, 365 days a year. And I think thinking that you can is really hard on you. Yeah. And I think that was your experience and mine actually with the breastfeeding. I think that's where I see like mums being challenged time and time again is this gap between the expectation and the reality and the pressure that we put on ourselves, which makes sense to me because I feel about my girls, you know, I want them to have such a different experience within themselves emotionally than I was given. So, you know, that is a lot of pressure that I put on myself. And I'm wondering what your childhood was like and what elements of that you want to take forward into your new family and what you are kind of leaving in the previous generation? I think it's really different to be honest with you. My parents lived apart really for my whole life and Matt and I are literally the most together people as in we work together and we live together and we're both real introverts who like just being at home so we literally are together all the time and we love that and we're like quite kind of symbiotic really but then at the same time we work a lot and my mum was a stay-at-home mum and so it's just on a kind of outward spectrum it's a very very different setup but I think the world is a very different place now so many of my friends had stay-at-home mums whereas I feel like now probably most of my friends and most of our generation will keep working in some capacity You know, if I think about all the people I met in like NCT class, you know, I think all of the mums are now back at work. That's it's a year later, exactly. And I think they're all back at work. And so it feels very different in that sense. And I think obviously there's advantages and disadvantages to both. But I always felt growing up that my mum, she just gave us so much, there's four of us as well. So that's a long gap of newborn life, basically, that she had. And, you know, tiny, tiny children. There's like seven and a half years between my brother, who's the eldest, and my younger sister. And I always felt that maybe selfishly, like I did want to keep elements of my own life going through my work when I, you know, if I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to be a mum. Why do you say selfishly? I know it's interesting. I I literally (laughs) was thinking that as well. It's such a good question. And I think... I don't feel, I mean, I certainly do not have the answer to it. And I'm sure everyone would have such a different opinion on it. And I think it's something that I definitely consider in myself a lot of the time is like, what's selfish and what's not, and what's giving the best to your child and what's not. And I think 
it's a very interesting question and I don't think it has a static answer or a one-size-fits-all answer at all. What about for you? I'm just so interested in how ingrained this narrative is in us. I think it's unconscious actually all the time that we naturally link doing our own thing, showing up in the world and being a mother as somehow kind of selfish or wrong or guilt-inducing, you know, I want to ask you about guilt. And I'm wondering... Do you really feel that or do you think that's kind of conditioning? Sometimes I do and sometimes I absolutely don't. I think it probably depends on the moment you ask me. I think probably I am a better mother for doing both. I love my work and, you know, we really hope that Sky and her sister will come work in the business when they're a bit bigger and, you know, it can really be a family business. Like that's a thousand percent the plan. And... I feel genuinely, truly feel like I'm a better mother for doing both because I think that I'm more energized and more alive and more excited. And I feel when I have time with her, I'm so present and like it's real kind of quality over quantity. But I am obviously aware of the fact that she doesn't spend the majority of her time. Well, obviously lockdown's been different, but kind of without lockdown, she would not spend the majority of her time with me. And I think it's a really confusing question for a mother. And I know sometimes I find like, you know, in the morning, if I say to Matt, do you mind if I just do a half an hour yoga class and you guys hang out? And he's an amazing partner and so supportive and, and answers always yes. But sometimes, again, I feel quite guilty because I'm like, okay, well, that's time that I could be with her. But then I'm like, at the same time, I'm a better, more rounded, calmer, more grounded person. And therefore I'd say certainly a better mother for taking that bit of time. And so it's just trying to find, I think, and that's ultimately what it is, isn't it? It's just trying to find the right balance where you can give every part of your life what it needs and what it deserves. And I'm sure that's something that probably any mum listening finds is what is that balance. And that also means like, you know, time with your partner and your friends and You know, I don't think with anything in life, you can put everything into one bucket. No. And actually, you know, I had a mum, the same as you, is in she didn't work, but I didn't witness, I didn't learn. You know, we only learn as children what we see around us, right? So I didn't learn what it meant to look after myself. My mum was amazing, but she definitely had that kind of martyr motherhood thing on. And she used to say, I'm not going to sit down because I'll never get up. And I reflect on that often now, like, God, imagine that. She was so tired and exhausted and running herself ragged that she felt if she sat down, she might never get up. Whereas Jessie and Rose see me, like I'm sure Sky does, she, they see me doing yoga, they see me sitting down, they see me saying I'm going to a recovery meeting. You know, and I think it's really fascinating. I do a lot of coaching and a pattern I've really noticed is mothers who had mothers who didn't look after themselves find it much 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 harder than mothers who had it modeled to them that's so interesting yeah my mum was the same she was just honestly she just literally and maybe it was because my dad wasn't really around she literally put everything I felt she sacrificed her entire life for the four of us and she did it with such love and such grace and never complaining but I always felt growing up that she had so little for herself Like, I don't remember growing up my mum really having anything for herself. Just when we lived in the countryside as well. So it's not like it was particularly easy to, like, pop out, get a babysitter when we were asleep and pop out and see a friend or anything. I feel like for a solid 20 years, she just gave absolutely every single drop of herself to us, which was unbelievable. But I I sometimes, I wonder if she would have been happier And she deserves to be happier if she'd been able to feel like she could take more time for herself. But then she, see, I guess everyone's so impacted, aren't they? Because I think she felt that her mum was never there. Interesting. So she wants Fascinating, the generational patterns. And it's fascinating how you had two parents who you said were quite distant and yet you've kind of pendulumed the other way and that you were quite very together a lot of the time. It's so interesting to me. Exactly. And so she felt her mum was never there. So she wanted to always be there. 
And I guess I felt my mum was always there and probably needed to take a bit more space for herself. And so I guess that's what I'm trying to do. And if you could, you know, Sky and her little sister, if they were going to, let's zoom forward 20 years and they're reflecting back on their childhood, what would you want them to remember? Like, what are the values that are really important to you and Matt? Just honestly, if she was going to have one word, I just want her to say it was happy. Like, that is the most important thing to me in the whole wide world. Like, I just genuinely just really want her to be happy. And I want her to feel like she's completely safe and completely surrounded by love. But also that in that, that she's got complete freedom and flexibility to be who she wants to be and do what she wants to do. And there's no mould for her to fit into and no expectations of who she's going to be and what she should do. Did you feel an expectation? Because you had, you know, a very successful father and a mother who came from a lot of success in business. Did you feel a pressure or an expectation growing up to yes be in that way? Yes and no. My brother, who I'm very close to, who also had a baby at the same time as Sky. So she, oh, wow. Yeah, it's nice. unbelievable. So yeah, so she's very lucky. She's got a cousin this exact same age on both sides. But yeah, he's just under two years older than me. And he was just like the shining star. I mean, he's like, you've never met someone clever in your life. It's ridiculous. He took something like nine A-levels and three advanced. <laughs> wow. Which I didn't even know was a thing. I mean, he was just this kind of like freak of nature growing up. Like he was just so, he just like made everyone else look ridiculous. He was just so advanced and he was so clever. He had been that from like day one. And, you know, my mum would always tell us how he was actually very, very, very ill just before I was born. And he was in hospital at Great Ormond Street for about three months. And always say the like pediatrician there who looked after him who's an amazing expert said you know I've never met a child like this you know if he was a racehorse I'd buy all four legs like he's unbelievable because his vocabulary was already you know he's just always this shining star from like literally the day he was born and my parents always used to say how he could recite the name and job title of the entire cabinet at the time. And <laughs> I did bird noises and I could like do like tweet, tweet and all the other animal noises. And that was my thing. And his thing was, yeah, being able to say, and the, you know, transport secretary is. <laughs> and so, you know, I felt very much in his shadow, which actually weirdly, I think ended up being like the ultimate blessing because actually my parents probably had less expectation of me than I think they did definitely on him and then of my sisters because I was yeah as I said I was really in his shadow and I was always the one that kind of struggled much more at school I had double vision which we didn't know about till I was like seven or eight so I found reading really hard and I had to do extra English classes struggled with dyslexia and you know just always was quite a few steps behind the others and so in my school, there were like seven sets for English and the others were all in set one and I was in set seven. And so there just really wasn't this pressure. There was an expectation that you really tried and not trying was just completely and utterly unacceptable for my parents. Like if you wanted to be in trouble, that was it. Just not trying and being badly behaved and not listening and not putting in your all was just you just wouldn't even entertain the idea of considering it in our house. Like you had to try and you had to try really hard, but they were very good at understanding that like, obviously you can only try to your ability. And the expectation was that my ability was much lower. And then when I got my GCSE results, my dad was like, are you serious? Like, is that a joke? Are those actually your results? I was like, yeah, yeah, they actually are. And I'd done really, 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 really well. And they just kind of couldn't get their heads around it and so actually I think it was a massive blessing because and my parents would be the first people to say this like no one thought that I would have my own business fly by one million miles and no one would have thought it would have been very successful I think it's allowed me to kind of feel like I can try because the expectation is quite low so you don't really feel like you can mess up Yeah. And what I just find so brilliant and fascinating about that story is how, you know, the way that you started to sell it was by writing. Ironic, isn't it? And I just think, I think what's so fascinating is, 
I see it, you know, Jesse's going to school in September, but I've noticed it a tiny bit unbelievably, even in preschool, is this kind of pressure that we put on society. And I think mainstream stalling actually seems to put on children to be the same and to, you know, be able to read in a certain way and write in a certain way. And it's just so interesting to me, you know, many of the most successful entrepreneurs I know, including my husband actually, totally flunked school. And so I'm wondering, has that given you a different perspective on that kind of approach do you think you'll have with your girls? Yeah, it actually quite terrifies me. We went to look at nurseries for her and I was kind of slightly petrified by what I saw. Yes, Um, I really relate. (laughs) Yeah, I felt really, really uncomfortable with it so much of it. There was one where they were like, yeah, we're going to try Mandarin lessons. I was like, really? Isn't it just like painting and, you know, learning socialization and sharing and being together and being, you know, independent and numbers and colors and, you know, all the rest of it. There was this kind of ridiculousness to it. And they were like, oh, this is this, you know, the book they fill in to bring home to you and you can write notes and questions to the teachers. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. That's just so relate. I got, we got, we got told that Jesse would have homework yeah and I was like (laughs) I started laughing I mean it's probably a bit rude and I said I'm so sorry but she's four like we're not going to do that and we opted out of it and I was really proud of us for that because like you you know it's the values that you bring knowing what's important completely and I just I mean I think it's really interesting Matt my husband he actually growing up all he wanted in life was to be a professional golfer from the age of about four. And he literally put every second of his life into that. And he played after school every single day, literally for like 12 hours, every Saturday and Sunday, every single day in the holidays. He did end up playing professionally and he was obviously really, really good. He played on the challenge tour and things. And, you know, at one point was, you know, ranked the number one this or whatever. Anyway, I embarrassingly can't remember. Anyway, he, he gave it up when he realized he was never going to be Tiger Woods, I think, and, and is thrilled about it. But he played professionally for about three or four years. But he always says that the academics at school weren't his kind of massive focus because he was so focused on golf. But putting everything into something and learning the kind of discipline and the patience and the practice of that was what really shaped him as a person. And I think we both feel so strongly about that, which is that, you know, it's really important to have passion and it's really important to try and it's really important to take things seriously and apply yourself. But if you're not going to be brilliant at chemistry, like that's okay. And I think what to me is really, really fundamental and what terrifies me about school is that there's such a pressure to be really really good at maths or to be really really good at chemistry and if you are that's fantastic and if that's where your interests lie that's absolutely brilliant but equally there's so much success to be had in life from totally different things you know whether that's coding or graphic design and you know there are incredible careers to be had and interesting lives to be led which have nothing to do with learning about photosynthesis. And I just worry (laughs) that there's just a lot of pressure on that and that you are kind of told like you're good or you're bad, you're clever or you're not based on that. And I think success is so much more nuanced than that. And it's so much more complex than that. And, you know, even emotional intelligence, I think, is an absolutely critical factor for success if you're going to succeed, you know, in business and work with other people and know how to work with other people really successfully. Like, it's not just about book smarts. And I just really, for me, that's what I'm really keen on and passionate about as a mum is that Sky feels that she can explore anything. I want her to get stuck into things and really apply herself and be really passionate and be really disciplined with where her passions are. But I really, really, really don't want her to feel like success is simply your chemistry, you know, GCSE. I was nodding. You can't see me. I was nodding crazily. I I totally agree. And it's going to be fascinating to watch Jessie's going to school in September, to watch how I 
I'm worried about entering that system because like you, you know, I think it's really narrow and I think it's great in so many ways and flawed in so many others. It's going to be really interesting to see how we, Guy and I are the same, we, we share the same value around it, how we navigate that or whether we just pull her out and homeschool her, which I suspect might happen. And you mentioned that word success a few times and I'm wondering, you have had so much success. What does success mean to you and do you feel successful? Oh, I don't know. I think success, I realise like more and more, and I think becoming a mother has been a really big part of this. And I know it sounds cheesy, but it's honestly, it's being happy, isn't it? Because like, one earth is the point otherwise? Like, yeah, what's the point? Yeah. It's so easy to spend so much time just working, 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 working. And I genuinely love my work. And I feel like it's a real privilege to be able to say that. But ultimately success is so much more than like accolades and moments and I think so much of it is about personal growth success in yourself and in that personal growth and how you feel you're doing and moving in your own life and I am a big believer in the fact that I think as human beings like we do thrive on a sense of growth and a sense of learning and developing and evolving and I definitely think feeling static and feeling like you're not progressing in your life. And I don't mean progressing in like a linear way in terms of like a career trajectory. I mean, just like evolving as a person and whether that's, you know, new hobbies or new relationships or a new yoga class that you love. Like it's just continuing to grow as a person and kind of continuing to become like more and more three-dimensional and, you know, great books and stimulation, I guess, and adding to your life as much as you can. And I guess I'm realizing more and more that success is that. And I think it's probably quite clear. I'm definitely someone that pushes myself and I'm definitely, you know, maybe I felt like I had a lot to prove. I don't know. But I think when Sky was born, as I said, that kind of four months later, when we took a few weeks out, I really had a good time of reflection of realizing like, in these four months, I've had a lot of time with Sky, but I've had a lot of time with Sky because I literally haven't taken a nap since she was born. And I'm exhausted and I'm not really very happy, realistically, because I've just really put too much pressure on myself and not given myself a single second for anything. And I think I started to reflect on like, okay, well, why was that? And it was things like, I still felt that I had to answer every single message in my Instagram inbox. I've messaged you a few times and I've been absolutely staggered that it's you and you replied straight away. It's baffling to me. How you are able to do that? But it's not good. And I think that's what I realized. I don't think it's good. I think you need to outsource that immediately. (laughs) I think that's what I've kind of really come to appreciate is that like, you can only do so much and, you know, yeah, as I said, I wouldn't nap because I'd be sitting there like replying to someone about whether or not they should swap peanuts for cashews in a recipe. And actually like ultimately you can only do so much before it's all a bit mad. And I think I've probably pushed myself too far. And I think when Sky was born and I was able to take a bit of time to kind of reflect, I just realized like, okay, actually, like, I don't have anything to prove to anyone. And what is it that I really want to do? And what is it that I can do well? And I can really support Delicious Ella in? And where can I pull back? And I feel like in the last six months, I've pulled back a lot. And I feel like I've given a lot over and delegated a lot and allowed myself to free up a lot. And because, you know, I've realized, yes, I really want to keep my career and yes, I really want to keep working, but I really want to have a very, very, very active, very present role in my girl's life. And that means not doing everything that I was doing before. And that's great. That I think I'm realizing more and more that that's success. And, you know, you're never going to get the perfect balance because every day is so different, but it's, I guess, working more towards the balance that serves you and your family well in the long term and we were talking earlier about what she might be here to teach you and I might make up that it's that actually you know that she's kind of saying you're enough as you are mum like that kind of strive for more and more and I I know it so well because I have that part in me that's continually trying to get my validation from outside myself or proving myself and my girls have taught me that like actually no it comes from within and you don't need it actually 
Absolutely. So before we finish, someone asked me this question recently and I thought it was such a great question and I'm such a fan of your podcast. I wanted to ask you the same question, which was someone asked me which guest had had the most impact on me. And I loved the question. I love reflecting on it. So I'm going to ask you which guest on your podcast it's really hard to choose one I know but if I forced you to which guest do you think's had the most impact on you or made you think differently I would say we had this amazing guy called Tukten yes I love him yeah he's unbelievable he's a Buddhist monk he renounced basically his life in his early 20s and went just to spend a year after a difficult period in a Scottish monastery and decided that was his calling and never went back to the kind of real world as such and became a full-time Buddhist monk. And he's unbelievable. Yeah, I felt really honoured to spend time with him and we've got to know him quite well since and really think he's doing really special work. And he wrote an amazing book called uh, A Monk's Guide to Happiness, which yeah, I, guess, I love it. Love yeah, it. That, I guess it's that as well as the podcast and, and talking to him there that gave me so much. But he just had a really amazing way of looking at life and looking at happiness and looking at presence that I felt was really relatable and really sound and really sensible. I really took a lot from it. We've got his guided meditations on our app and I do them a lot and I absolutely love them. And I, yeah, I just think he's really special. And I think this year's been a really interesting, Quite, you know, people ask all the time, you know, what's the one thing you've learned from lockdown? What's the one thing you've learned from the pandemic? And I think it's ultimately exactly what we're saying about what your children show you is that, you know, the only thing you can do is be present, you know, because we have no idea what the next few months look like. And we had no idea that this was coming. And the last few months have been so strange that really the only thing you can do is be happy right here yeah. today because you just do not know what tomorrow looks like. It's impossible now more than ever to plan and project. Yeah, it's so true. You know, life's always been uncertain. We've never really known what was coming. It's just this has really taught us that, hasn't it? Exactly. I think I'm the same. I've really reflected on that. I asked the same question at the end of every episode, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? Such a great question. And it's such a hard one to answer because there are just so many possible answers. But I think it would be one of two things, if I'm allowed to say that which is that I think it's support because I think that that is the most important thing. I think I mentioned earlier, I had one friend whose little girl was exactly nine months older and the support that she gave me was just, I just don't know how I would have done it without her. And literally at one point she gave me breast milk from her freezer because she didn't need it anymore because she had so much when I was struggling with low supply. You know, she just literally went and she, but just like her advice and, the sense of togetherness and the WhatsApp group from our baby NCT. And I just don't know. I felt like I was really lucky. And with my sister-in-law with a little girl the same age, and I just felt like I was really surrounded by people who I trusted and who got it and who I could reach out to. And a partner who literally is like the most supportive, incredible dad, like really he's, spectacular I just couldn't rate him more as a dad and and as a partner and I just I feel like doing motherhood in that first year is really hard and there's no two ways around that and I think doing it with support is the biggest blessing in the world and so I would wish real support and openness to have that support for every mother in the world because I think it can be really lonely and it can be really isolating and I think you can feel like you're doing it all wrong and knowing that you've got people to turn to makes the whole experience so different and then I think the second thing is just you know an ability and whatever tool that is for you to find self-compassion and for me that has been keeping up my yoga practice because it allows me to kind of check in with myself and remind myself of that. But I think finding kindness for yourself and whatever tools it is that you need to do that, again, is the biggest gift you can give anyone. 
Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. And I will just do a shout out for your app, which I'm just loving at the moment. And you've got so much new content on there. Oh, thank you. Do you know what I have to say? It's like actually one thing that I think we're most proud of at Delicious Yellow, like the aim is to try and make healthier living more accessible and yeah there's 99p and we've got I think over 600 recipes on there now we just put literally as of this morning another 50 exercise videos on so it's like 150 exercise videos guided meditations and everything it is like it's so rich in content and it's so nice because we can update it the whole time and always share new recipes and new ideas and yeah I love it absolutely love it I feel like it's the new calm, to be honest, is how I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, it's, it's that kind of good and the, the content is, you know, that great. And I love the breadth that you've got on there. So if people want to find a way, you know, that last answer of your question, you know, to reconnect, I would encourage them to have a look at your app for sure. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy. What a lovely way to start Monday and the week. So thank you so much for being here with me. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time.